Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking with Sam Ritchie, the creator of the Mentat Collective. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great. Do you want to start by giving us a little bit of background of where have you come from and you know, there's what you're doing right now, but you've got kind of an interesting history of other software projects in the past as well, which maybe inform some of what you do today. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give a quick sketch. So I have to go back you know, many years now to uh, 2009, 2010 to find when I got into Clojure. I started programming, I think just out of college, making games for the iPhone. And part of that work involved porting over a solver for these brain teaser puzzles from Mark Engelberg's work that he'd been doing for ThinkFun, which is a, a brain teaser puzzle company that my parents had started when they were young, right when they had me. So these games I was making were ports to the iPhone and the iPad of like physical games that they had developed over the decades that are just so perfect for that interface. And when it had come out, it was so exciting that it broke this block I had about programming for many years. So I was happily in Objective-C world. Mark Engelberg, who some of you closure folks might know as the author of Instaparse and many other projects, was doing contract work building solvers for Rush Hour and a number of the other games that I was working on. So Rush Hour was your parents? Yeah, 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 that's right. Wow. The game was invented by Nob Yoshigahara, by this prolific puzzle inventor, but brought to market by ThinkFun, I think then called Binary Arts. That's incredible. Yeah, it's great, right? And that was like my first programming project. So Mark had built, you know, a solver for this and for other games. And he nerd sniped me, not knowing it at the time, by sending me a closure file with, I believe it was a solver for the game Chocolate Fix. And he said, look, take a look at this. If you can decode it, great. Just know that this is the most beautiful language you'll ever find. (laughs) So, you know, it's worth your time decoding this thing. And it's like, oh my God, I got to get into this. I don't know what it was. I had never heard of Lisp before, but I was pulled in. I took a copy of The Little Schemer on a backpacking trip to Nicaragua and went through the whole book with pen and paper and came back like thinking I was ready to be a Lisp developer. Wow. So that led toward, yeah, I got the solvers done. I got pulled into the world of open source with a project called Cascalog that Nathan Mars had created. Mm -hmm. He went on to do Storm and um, a bunch of other work. So that was a data log interface over Hadoop. So I spent a year, a year or two, I think, working on this large-scale deforestation monitoring system in Clojure. That turned into a project called Global Forest Watch. Anyway, lots of like unusual, I think, Clojure projects at pretty big scale in the open source world. Like, I don't know many other people that have had that experience early on in their programming journey around then. So compressing the rest of the history, I ended up getting a job at Twitter with Nathan and the rest of the Backtype team. I went off into the dark world of Scala for a while. I sold ads to people and built infrastructure projects and blah, blah, blah. Did that for a number of years. And then what led me into back into the closure world was a job doing machine learning research, really infrastructure for machine learning research at X, at uh, the small lab at Google of X physicists who were doing kind of science of deep learning research. And there was nothing really closure about that, but I had reached a point in my career when, let's just put it this way, I had worked on one too many like Python dependency bugs and just <laughs> untangled like one too many serialization problems. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you're laughing. Anybody who's been in this world knows like how much a part of daily life this is and how awful it is. And I don't know, I just kind of got, I hit a point in my developer journey where I didn't see an end to this style of working. It was like stitching together Docker containers and microservices and 
all to support what, on the face of it, are these very simple problems that researchers wanted to investigate or questions they wanted to ask about, you know, again, very simple machine learning architectures. It's just like you're awash in data and metrics and no one knows how to organize. And these researchers, frankly, despise the tools that they're forced to use that come handed down from big companies' production pipelines. So I just got kind of fed up with it and decided to go work first at X and then with the support of a a close friend on my own, just on this problem of, okay, what would an environment look like for kind of soup to nuts exploration of machine learning models, but really like physics education and just sort of notes. Rome research had become the buzzing thing at the time and I was all addicted. What I thought was missing from tools like this was the ability to write code. I want to go play with a thing some physics thing I'm learning from the people I work with, why can't I import a simulation and kind of fiddle with that and have that be part of my notes? So the ostensible application of this was, as a researcher, I'd like to stay in a Jupyter notebook effectively for the entire process from my initial idea all the way to publishing a paper. Like, Would that be possible? Can I never bail out to all of this Docker nonsense that everyone has to deal with? When I decided to quit Google, I shifted to okay, I don't really in my own time like care that much about <laughs> making this Python process better. So I'm going to focus all my efforts on this obscure physics textbook written by the author of the wizard book that many of us know, Gerald Sussman. And um, anyway, I should stop and have you guide us a little bit. But I flip to this, the sort of guiding thing around my work now that I'm doing is can you build something like Wikipedia, something like a Rome research, like note-taking system, but with the ability to write code embedded in and have these sort of living computational things stick with you over the course of your career, learning journey, education, you know, whatever, versus software being this thing where the more you write, the more tangled it gets, stuff from five years ago doesn't work anymore. There's really no kind of grain augmentation in the way that if you dig into the history of tools for thought, that buzzword, we were promised back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. Well, maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the particular projects that you're working on, which build towards that and the the Mentech Collective, which is the umbrella for this? Absolutely. Okay. So concretely, what I'm working on now, I wrote an essay I wrote it a couple of years ago now called The Dynamic Notebook, and it just sketched out, I guess, an experience I would like to have when I sit down to study something from a physics or math textbook and implement it in code. And the experience was one of, I want to sit down, I'm reading a thing, I start to work through it in my head, I'm writing, and then I, I should be able to pull up a code cell, start to transcribe some of the mathematics I'm reading into code, and the system should give me back when I do that kind of the maximal output for my small input. So I'd like, if I type something that's a mathematical function, I'd love to be able to play with a graph of it and look at its derivatives and pick out particular points and feed its output into other things. Just the sense that the more I add, the more I get out. Okay, so concretely, that what anchored all of that was this physics textbook by Sussman which it's you know a paper thing. You go and you buy it, you start to work through it. But what it's done is it's re-implemented all of graduate level classical mechanics in Scheme as Scheme programs. So you read this book. Yeah, it's nuts because it really does start from absolutely nothing. And the goal Sussman has in mind, had in mind when he did this was, usually when you read these mathematics textbooks, 
a lot of the math is not very precise. It's impressionistic in his words. And as you're reading and kind of absorbing concepts, you are forced to do a lot of extra work to go figure out what is actually being said, you know, variables are reused, things like this. For someone already in the profession, no problem. You're just sort of pattern matching on things you already know. But for someone who's learning, this is untenable. <laughs> so he has this nice comment that the REPL is kind of your the most, I guess, not bullheaded. Yeah, the REPL is like just the slowest student you could imagine, where he's, every little detail has to be absolutely right for something <laughs> to work. <laughs> but so what he does is he, he develops everything in this notation, which is very precise, where every all of the uh, equations in his book are generated by little scheme functions that can spit out LaTeX and render as math. So the whole book is a program. And it's full of these little simulations, which he has rendered as figures that he's embedded in the book. The book does not, like most physics textbooks, peter out at kind of the limit of pencil and paper calculation. He's able to dive into chaos theory, nonlinear dynamics, things like this, because the computer is able to take these equations and run simulations that are just far beyond what you'd ever sit down and have the patience to do by hand. So, okay, just to tie this all together, the the experience I wanted was I wanted to be able to write stuff like that. And I realized that when I found this book and thought, holy mackerel, like this is a 500 page unbelievable textbook that does what I wanted, but it's kind of dead. It's dead on the page because it was written at a time when you couldn't ship the book with you know, a web version where everything can run and be interactive and playable. What you really want is a book where I can take a copy of the book and start to mess with it and make margin notes and things like that. And those margin notes will have the exact same computing environment that the author had when they wrote the book in the first place. So that's the experience I wanted. <laughs> there weren't many of the pieces here. The pieces around were a port of the library that backed this textbook by a lovely gentleman named Colin Smith. Colin had gotten really far. I think most of the code in the book could run in his closure library. What else did we have? Another piece that was interesting was a library called, or a, a, I guess application called Maria.cloud by Jack Rusher and Matt Hubert and um, their developer collective. Have you seen Maria? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Of, of course. Yeah. Closures Together is, is um, I forgot, has uh, funding for Matt this uh, quarter. So I found Maria right when I found this book. It was like, oh my God, if if this book lived in Maria, like we've got the closure compiler. For folks who don't know, this is an online notebook system where you can write markdown or code. It's exactly what I said I wanted. You can write code, you can write markdown. And when you evaluate a cell, you'll see the result like the Jupyter notebooks that many of us know, but with some extra affordances like functions can emit standard data structures you know, but there's also functions that can kick out like geometric shapes. So there's square, you know, triangle. And you can wire these together reactive programming style. So I can call the square function, rotate it by an angle, set its color, and then have a stream of ticks coming in from a clock that sort of rotate the thing over time. And then I can map across that function and get a list of these things that are all rotating at different rates. And just this like playful kind of musical instrument feel. I thought if you had that, but rather than starting from a blank page or a small tutorial, you were starting from like <laughs> an implementation of everything in physics from scratch up to classical mechanics, up to electricity simulations, up to general relativity. It would just be totally mind blowing. And you've got people building simulations like that, but shipping them as like Java applets or these goofy things that can't 
really escape the bounds of a computer and certainly are not built to do kind of interactive exploration yeah. in a way where you, yeah, go on, go on. No, I, I've been working on a textbook understanding software dynamics mm. recently, which mm-hmm. is looking at CPU instruction level behavior. And, you know, the mm-hmm. whole book is, you know, there's code samples, but, you know, it's, it, you need to type them into your editor and compile them with GCC and then measure the output, mm-hmm. which which is all good practice to do as a programmer to kind of get of get, get this under your fingertips. But at the same time, what you're describing of like this interactive thing of like, okay, what if I want to try like these different CPU instructions or like I want to just vary these parameters and see how the system behaves. Like that's all manual. And so it limits the number of experiments that you can do in any amount of time because, you know, if you've got to like copy it out and rewrite the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a different, qualitatively different experience exploring a system versus running code samples, you know, writing them out by hand. Yeah. On the other hand, it's not obvious, like with your book, it's not obvious that if you did embed a little virtual machine for every code sample, that that what would be different about that? Like my contention is that that for many people, it would just be a little more convenient, right? I can like look at the output of this thing. Maybe I wasn't going to run the code samples anyway. But I think there's this core of people that this would just be this incredible gift. The the stories you have about people that get their first transistor radio back in the 50s and are like tinkering and messing with it. Obviously, that wasn't everybody. But for a certain person at a certain time in their life to find this kind of pulsing artifact like that, that just the thought of that is so exciting. That said, it's a tr- it would be a tremendous amount of work to convert any book over to... Uh, <laughs> to this format. So I just decided I'm going to I'm going to go overboard here and do this and make this book executable and interactive in kind of the the most shining example of the sort of thing that I can imagine. It just out of stubbornness and I want to see what it feels like. I've seen a lot of environments that talk about indiv- little mechanics for this sort of thing. Like go oh, look at this essay and you can play with the simulation and you know run the source code if you download this docker container. But a full book is a titanic effort. And on the other hand, the full book has everything you'd really want. You've got citations, you've got indices, you've got references. You can't run all this in one notebook. So you have to be able to share code across. You've really got to do literate programming from the start. And the book is just sitting there, like waiting to (laughs) be brought to life. I committed to do this with the support of Brad Feld, who's a, a friend in town, and then John Underkoffler. And we decided we would make a kind of collaborative thing called the Mentac Collective. We didn't really know what that meant. We still don't really know what it means. <laughs> but the idea was, look, stuff like this should exist. You should be able to do projects like this. And they don't really fit. Like a startup doesn't really make sense for a thing like this. An academic lab doesn't really make sense. On the, why don't we just do it? And along the way, let's observe what comes out, what libraries, what projects, what reusable stuff comes out of an effort like this and see if there's some way to bake you know, a collective of programmers or an open source funding model or something like that to go encourage more work like this. And I know you have thought a lot about this problem and obviously made more progress than I have on it because Closures Together is, is a wonderful thing and I'm benefiting from the funding of it and, and on and on. But that's the meta issue above all this of to the extent that 
and we'll get into more details about what actually I'm <laughs> building here, but to the extent that any of this is exciting and doesn't quite make sense for like, why would someone be spending huge amounts of time on this? I think answering the second question is very important for uh, our software future. Yeah. And I think the other part which this reminds me of is Brett Victor's talks on interactive and explorable programming. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that this is sort of in in that spirit to some degree. Okay. It is in that spirit. Brett is this the top example of someone who puts out incredible demos that just inspire, you know, people just to go off and spend the next decade working on his ideas. <laughs> yes, this is all inspired by Brett's stuff is so inspiring and so awesome. And I still need to go to Dynamic Land and um and go uh play with what he's doing now. So this is really not as like off into the deep end as any of Brett Victor's stuff. But I think the thing that I'm trying to bring to this this collection of open source projects that I'll describe is Brett's stuff is awesome, but it doesn't, it's hard to use. Like he doesn't have anything he's put out that you can like dem the demos are not libraries that you can play with. Right. For good reason. You he's not does he want to support these open source projects and be accepting patches and he's the the prophet off <laughs> off in the wilderness, like finding the next thing. I do have a really strong feeling that it could be the case that this oddball textbook thing I'm interested in, maybe five people are interested in as well. Like this could be a tiny little group that actually cares about everything I care about. But all of the software components you need to make an experience like that possible, like, okay, collaborative editing on the browser, really fast physics code that can run in the browser or on a server, interactive controls, and the ability to do kind of margin notes on a computational essay. Like the more generic you get, the more useful the stuff is. And along the way of this bigger project, I'm attempting to kick out these libraries that are kind of best in class as far as their documentation and their testing coverage and their support, integrate with all the closure tooling that's out there so that other people can use this stuff for things that I haven't thought about before. So yeah, inspired by Brett and then maybe not as uh, <laughs> creative as his work, but the meat and potatoes usability, I want to be as big as possible to make up for that. Yeah. So should we talk about some of the libraries that make up this project? Yeah. Yeah. Let's walk the graph of uh, these. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, do you want to start? There's at the bottom of your GitHub readme for the Mintech Collective, there's three libraries, Mathbox, Shadergraph, and 3Strap. Yes. So maybe we can start there and build up. Okay, so first, just just a, a hand wave to this library I mentioned earlier from Gerald Sussman, this computer algebra system. This is like an ocean of code that powers all the physics stuff. That's the real like core of all this, but it's not that accessible. It's really this symbolic math toolkit that can do all sorts of amazing stuff in physics. Not that many people in the closure community are like working on physics day to day. So the bulk of this work was esoteric and hard to approach. What you need to make all of this lovely and approachable is all of that hard physics math really is meant to represent things moving in the in the physical world. So I knew from the beginning that I have to get some kind of visualization engine going. I didn't really have any experience writing graphics code, but in Brett Victor's style, there is this set of like unbelievable demos of a library called Mathbox that came out, I think around 2015 from a guy named Stephen Wittens. He's got one is called How to Fold a Julia Fractal. Have you seen this thing? Um, it's not coming to mind. I might have seen we we can put a link to it. Yeah. Basically, it's a slideshow of 3JS animations 
that go from the idea of, okay, numbers you can represent as vectors up to complex numbers, up to, okay, complex numbers are spiraling around this plane if you plot them in polar coordinates. And the visualizations just as you progress through get crazier and crazier. And he builds up to this, looking at this Julia set, this incredible like fractal demo with quaternions, all of it's running in the browser. All these incredible demos and animations are just kind of blew my mind when I found them back in 2015. And they're all written in this declarative style that React and Reagent and the Closure World, of course, adopt. So what he built is a system where you can define a scene, like a 3D scene, and say, I want axes, and then here's my function, and all of this stuff will get compiled down and pushed to your GPU to run really fast. It was really hard to use when I found it. It was in like old CoffeeScript, CoffeeScript 1 on an ancient version of 3JS. So it wouldn't work at all with ClojureScript. But phase one of the visualization side of this was to go kind of rehabilitate the MathBox project with Steven's support, get it to the stage now where you can drive this thing from Reagent. So I have a library now called mathbox.cljs, which wraps up this a React wrapper over this interface and lets you write reagent components that describe mathematical scenes and bundle them up so you don't have to start from scratch. You can say, here's a function, here's a surface, here's kind of a bead that can move around arbitrary surfaces. And those are all bundled up as reagent components that you can just control like you would you know, a to-do list interface. And what do you do with this thing? Well, you can do anything from like graphing calculator applications or physics simulations to smoking fast data visualization tricks or i mean he's got examples of like winamp what are they called these like sort Skins. of dancing amazing no these like uh the visualizers those like dancing kind of pulsing yes yes so he's just feeding you know music waveforms in and getting these mathematical things to pulse and jump and in theory with 3js you can put a, a vr headset on and kind of be inside one of these visualizations but yeah this is a thing now that i guess is a little boutique you need to have a reason to want to go build 3D scenes. But to the extent that you do, this is like a trivial thing to do now from any ClojureScript application. And I don't think there's no other system that's as approachable as this, I would say, for going and building, like doing data analysis in a 3D canvas in a way where the data that's driving it is not stuffed into a box. Like you can go also kind of be showing this stuff with Vega Light or other charting systems. But if you want to go have some hands-on point clouds and things like that, it's no problem now. Nice. And the physics demos are astounding. So if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> then uh, this is the sort of thing you'll be into. Awesome. So this is the Mentat Collective is sort of maintaining these math box and related WebGL projects. Yeah, Steven's on to his next thing. He's on to, um, like, I guess he, he thinks of it as Mathbox 3, but this even more hardcore, but API compatible project. And so he's a bit silent on the math box front, but yeah, Christopher Chadziki, another developer and I are, as we find bugs, just fixing them up in math box and it kind of ha are maintaining this project now. It's a JavaScript project, but we're also maintaining the react wrapper over top and then the closure script wrapper. Wow. So that's out now. It's got this set of 64 wild demos and part of the work I should say that I've been sponsored on for closures together for the past couple of months is Getting that system into good shape, which I would say it is now, but also porting the examples over and documenting them so that if you have any, think you have any need for 3D work, you can go to this set of examples and see kind of not just a wall of code, but, you know, okay, broken out by, we want to do kind of 
something that's doing interactive control or something that's hooked up to a web, another API and pulling data in remotely or on and on, you'll be able to do that. Exciting. So that's the foundational libraries. And then I see you've also like Clerk. I know Clerk's not your project, but Clerk kind of shows up every which way you look at the Mintech Collective's uh, published output is often in a Clerk notebook. So uh, for people who aren't aware, what is Clerk? Okay, so Clerk, as I'm using it, I think this is a, a definition that encompasses everything. So Clerk is a system for writing computational notebooks. Clerk is a li- it's like it's a library and a, I guess file watcher or web service where you are in your own editor working on a closure file, and anytime you make a change and save the file or trigger Clerk to look at it again, Clerk will go render from top to bottom a um, a visual representation of your closure namespace in a web page. So conceptually, that's all you need to know, really. You're kind of working on things. You save. Clerk runs the entire namespace top to bottom and shows the output. What's interesting about Clerk is, okay, if you're just sort of putting closure data structures or functions in your namespace, you'll see what looks like REPL output. But Clerk is programmable from inside of Clerk. So if I have something like, let's say in the math library, I'm writing an essay about geometry or something, and I want to show points. Well, I can tell Clerk that anytime you see a vector with two elements, I want you to just plot that on a canvas. And I can make a new thing where I say, well, anytime there's a list of pairs, then plot all those points. And so now I've got a 2D canvas that's interactive. I can go to my namespace. I can start to add points they appear. I can just start to think of, well, what if I wanted vectors? What if I wanted shapes? And I can be writing my application and also programming how Clerk represents all of these things as I go. There's a bunch of built-in viewers for Vega Light charting, for representing math. And then as part of the work I've been doing on this executable textbook project, I've been adding viewers for MathBox, for a 2D graphing system called JSXGraph. I've got an equation editor. Basically, all the things you might want as you're writing, I guess, like educational physics content. But the fact that you've got this beautiful representation of your writing and code and that you can teach Clerk how to basically seed JavaScript visualization libraries with data is just, it's an amazing experience to work this way. A final note I'll say is Clerk also heavily embraces Reagent, this like React wrapper that we all use in ClojureScript. So what you find is, okay, I'm writing code, that all is accessible from the REPL, but I also can write functions which I push over into the browser, like this animation code, and I can pass data and code back and forth and kind of choose which environment I live in. We've seen a lot of people writing like interactive dashboards for their companies or for projects they're working on that can pull in like Internet of Things data and chart that. And you can ship the stuff as a static artifact that you host on GitHub pages or somewhere else with all the JavaScript that you kind of custom coded along the way. So anyway, this it just got me tingling when they created this project. You've got this, oh my God, I can write a book or essay or just dashboard or things like something like that in a computational environment. Someone else can read the thing with the REPL open, or I can push a static artifact up and publish it for someone who has none of the stuff to go read. It's just an amazing extensible platform, but it's extensible in a way that embraces, it's all about the core, like closure data structures, closure ideas, all of the state management happens with closures, Atom. So there's no sense that of like lock-in to a proprietary platform. 
just like everything else in Clojure. It's just additive and, and it's all good. Anything you build for Clerk, you've really built for anything else like that in the Clojure ecosystem. That's very cool. And so now sort of at the, the top level, we've got an actual textbook or several textbooks, in fact, like structure and interpretation of classical mechanics is now using all of these lower level pieces to build or rebuild the original book in an interactive. Yeah, the book's not, the, the executable book port is not done yet. So what is kind of done is I've got executable versions of a lot of the exercises in the book, all of which are kind of flexing different parts of the computer algebra system. Now that I've got a lot of this visualization stuff working, the next thing to do is go back and go through that stuff again and start to flesh it out with, okay, here's an exercise about like a triple pendulum and the the horizon at which this multiple simulations diverge and start to become chaotic. So I've got all the code to do that, but it's really just outputting a figure. Now let's get the math box visualization inside of that. And there's multiple exercises about a double pendulum. Let's show that one can import another one. So all of these pieces really, like the first pass over all this material, I just had all these sticky notes like across my work saying, yeah, I wish I could show this. I wish I could do that. And it's all so hard. Okay, to do this right, to do these visualizations, it's not easy enough to just like, how do I say this? The code that drives one of these animations has to be fast because it's running in this tight loop in 3JS, in this visualization system. When you force someone to write code that's really hand-optimized to run in a graphics hot loop, it sucks. It sucks to read. You know, it's hard to understand what's happening. So an example of like some of the deep stuff in this library is the uh, the computer algebra system, for example, can take like a really high-level description of, say, some crazy surface you want to go render. This is an example I've been working on <laughs> for the past couple of days. I've got an example of a like a a helix basically that coils around a donut. So you've got this sort of spring that's wrapped around a a torus shape. Now the equations to go describe that are actually pretty nice. Like you can, you can say, look, we've got two angles. We've, we've got our kind of angle around the donut. And then the angle there's, uh, how do I say this? There's like the one angle around looking top down in the donut and then how far around the helix are you? So the way you'd write this to go talk about it is not going to fly. It's like deadly slow when you try to go in a hot loop, calculate Mm. the positions of all the points on the surface in real time. But the computer algebra system that Sussman's principles have really inspired can take that code, which is all written in terms of these generic versions of Clojure's math operators. You can pass symbols into the function. So instead of passing like particular coordinates, I can say, here's just a generic, you know, theta and phi. And what you'll get out is a, a source tree of this computation you want to do to calculate given theta and phi, show me like the point that that represents on in XYZ coordinates. Okay. So then I can take the simplifier that I was using already for these mathematical exercises, simplify the code down, pull out common sub expressions, and then compile it down to like a faster JavaScript function than anybody would handwrite for 3JS because you'd have to mash everything together and it would just be totally unreadable. So the fact that like, the educational equation simplifier also is a compiler that you can use to make faster 3D visualizations than anyone's ever going to write in JavaScript is just like, it's so good, you know, and it's, it's, it's possible because Clojure and ClojureScript are using the same syntax and they both, you know, you've got the ability to go 
quote this stuff and then just make a compiler super easy to write. So anyway, I forget what kicked me off on all this, but saying like the experience I want to have is of writing something that looks simple and having it run very, very fast. There's a lot of effort that goes into making that work, but then the effort pays off a lot more than you put into it with, okay, yes, for the physics examples, it's nice, but the same machinery that runs that process of simple code to fast graphics is exactly what machine learning libraries like Jax or TensorFlow or PyTorch do to go from Python to these really fast matrix representations to do computation on GPUs. So all of the machinery here to do my kind of oddball side project, if I can do a good job of extracting it out and making it generic, it's just waiting to be used for stuff that people are actually making money off of now, like taking closure code that looks nice and idiomatic and powering faster machine learning models than anything we've got out there as far as training and, and scoring goes. So tell us about Sycamutils or what it's about to be become. Okay. So Sycamutils, and thanks for wandering around with me around this code landscape. We got to put some links in the, uh, <laughs> in the notes Definitely. here. Okay. So Sycamutils is a closure port of the library that Gerald Sussman has been building up in Scheme since maybe the late 80s. And it's the book that powers the physics textbook I mentioned earlier. He's got a bunch of general relativity and like uh, experiments inside of it. Basically, it's everything mathematical and numerical computing related that this brilliant dude has worked on for the past 30 or 40 years. So the closure port, I guess you could think of it like it's a computer algebra system like in Python SymPy or maybe a piece of Mathematica of that program. But what's interesting about the closure port for this stuff is it runs equally well in the browser and JavaScript and on the JVM. And okay, so it's it's this big library that has a bunch of different mathematical objects in it, vectors, quaternions, complex numbers, all this stuff. It's also got, all of it is built around this idea of basically every mathematical operation in the library is based effectively on multi-methods. So I can go add numbers but I can teach the library to go add vectors or add matrices or things like this. And because everything is built on these extensible operations, Sussman's idea here in doing this is that if you open up everything for extensibility, it's a, yes, it could get hard to reason about, but what you do is you make this paradigm that he calls additive programming possible, where the more that goes into the system, the more things can talk to each other as long as you stick to some pretty clear mathematical guidelines in the case of these different math operations, you're going to get more and more and more utility out of this library, the more kind of stuff you stuff into it. Usually that's not the case with big software systems, but I can attest like this 30,000 line library, the more I've added and okay. So a bunch of mathematical objects, a bunch of operations between them, it's got automatic differentiation. It's got a bunch of numerical computing. So if you have a function you want to go minimize or take integrals of, no problem, you could do that. And then it's got a ton of like physics-specific code built on top of all these primitives. So really anything you'd find in like a grad level general relativity textbook is implemented as a function in this library that you can go call with numbers and mess with. Or you can pass in symbols and you'll get like these famous equations that you find throughout the textbooks popping out and you can render as, you know, mathematical notation using the LaTeX renderer inside the library. So 
Yeah, it's basically this massive toy box full of ideas and mathematical objects. It's very, very useful for doing anything with symbolic math, obviously. But all of the ideas there, as I mentioned before, are really the same ideas that you get when you do automatic differentiation inside of a matrix library to power machine learning models. All of this stuff is built around, well, I've got functions of numbers because I'm talking about XYZ coordinates for physics. But the way that the library is built, I can say, instead of compiling this function down to run really fast for just real numbers, I'm going to constrain my simplifier and my compiler to only know about matrix operations. And so I can get a sort of simplifier that does a good job of taking matrix argument functions And I can kick out at the end a function that all the generic stuff has been stripped away and it's ready to take in some core dot matrix representation or something like that and go run on a GPU or Google's TPU. This is a little tough to parse like on audio with uh, (laughs) with all the stuff that's going on. But I think the maybe that's good that the sense you get is there's just a bewildering amount of kind of mathematical ideas and stuff. And I think the next year or so of this work is going to be telling the story basically of this library as a series of executable essays that I'll be putting out that sort of build up all the ideas in the library from scratch, just from Lisp, and then like tell the tale of the library, but implemented with all this executable stuff I've talked about. So the library itself will kind of be like a prequel book to all of these physics books. You know, like what if you just had Lisp's primitives and you wanted to get to general relativity? How would you get there? Okay, you'd start with numbers. Then we talk about numbers and geometry. You go to vectors. You go on and on and on. And along the way, like you kind of kick out these useful ideas, which is really the history of math and physics development. You get these eye on the prize, like discoveries people are trying to make, but invariably there are just exciting side roads to go down. And the side roads of this project will ideally be like small libraries or sub libraries that. Someone can go, okay, he's really going off the deep end there with the physics stuff, but oh my God, like this matrix stuff, does he know that this powers our, <laughs> our modern world? Like I want to go down that side road and that should be just as lovely and easy to do. And anything someone adds from their own excitement there will just tangle in with everything else through this kind of additive programming paradigm that Sussman baked into the whole thing. So are there any other parts of this that that we haven't covered? And the the Mentec Collective Cinematic Universe. Yeah, the, oh my God, the Mentec Collective Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I think the the thing that, uh, the the takeaway, if you're listening to this and thinking like, okay, this is a, it sounds like there's a bunch of cool open source stuff here. Give Clerk a try. And if you look at this page for this Mentec Collective, like list of software, look at it with the eyes of, I think the Clerk focus is probably the most important one. There's just all this stuff I'd love if you would play with. And it's really all tied to kind of clerk and these different viewers. So go scan the page and just be on the lookout for more utilities there. All right. So you've been doing this trailblazing work, but also working with the the Cyclos community a little bit as well, talking with them. What's that been like? Early on in this work, the Cyclos community has just been so friendly and great. And they were really excited to see me kicking out this automatic differentiation essays and things like this. I haven't worked as closely with them in the past, I would say, year or so, mostly because I had <laughs> I had twins back in May and, and I've been kind of deep in the, just off in my own world working on this stuff and with family life. 
But yeah, I would say about that community, I mean, I had been off in Scala land, as I said, and and in um, this kind of large company world for a while. And coming back to Closure and having Daniel from the Cyclosh community and those folks just pull me in and say, what you're working on seems exciting. You should look at this stuff. The sense of community that I got from that group was just awesome. Daniel went out of his way to organize study groups for the textbook, for the classical mechanics book when I was first putting out extensions to Colin Smith's work. So I'm not as connected day to day with like their goals for closure data science. But when I look at what they're doing and the work I'm putting out, it seems like closure's design and this small core set of primitives that we all build on has done a fantastic job of ensuring that this stuff is all going to work together just fine. Let me try to say this a little better because I think this is an important thing about this language. Everything I've been doing has worked so well with Clerk and Reagent and these other libraries I found, um, but not through kind of careful coordination with the Clerk team, more just because everything I've, I've leaned really heavily on all of the core protocols in the Clojure language. All you really have to do to work with this amazing React ecosystem that we have is use atoms for your state, which is the, it's like, you don't have to do anything. It's unbelievable. And so I, I am continually amazed at how easy it is to go pick up other pieces from the closure ecosystem and plug my stuff in with them and just have it work. No problem. In a way that's like, I, I had completely forgotten about when I was off in Java land, just getting types sewn together I love types, but there's a lot of ceremony you have to do to go play with other people that is completely gone in the closure world. So yeah, I, I hope if you ask me this in six months or a year, I'll say, you know, finally we've sewn together. We've got lib Python closure, like all this stuff is driving Python and Julia and I'm pulling data back from them and it's rendering in clerk. And it was just, it took no effort. That's where I think a lot of this is heading. Just like a an ecosystem, which doesn't come out of nowhere because it's been here the whole time, but for folks in the know, it's just the most pleasant, lovely place to work. Yeah, I am really excited. And yeah, LibPython, CLJ, that just kind of blew my mind that that it was totally even, even possible. And then to do it performantly, at, you know, like this is a, actually a viable oh, yeah. thing. To, yeah, not just like a toy. It's actually, yeah, it's... No, it's like, it's really good. It's as good as you'd ever want. As good as it's going to get. It's like, oh, this stuff is zero copy memory sharing with Python. I mean, I haven't personally used much, but um, basically anything you find in Python that you like, you can go drive from Clojure as if it's native. It's no problem. And so all of these tools for visualization, all the stuff that um, you find you like, you have the entire power of that. You have you know the Java ecosystem, but also with a bit of kind of fitting into different clothing, the Python ecosystem available too. Yeah, this is uh, Chris Nuenberger's work. Well, I mean, that's we could we could talk uh, for. Let's not go into all of his things, or we will be here yeah, I know. here yeah. forever. But this is a, a very exciting branch or facet of the closure closure community. What do you think? I mean, you have a lot of contact with the Cyclosh community, and with what's your take on the closure uh, the closure sort of data and visualization world? Honestly, when it first started, I didn't really get it because I was like. Closure is just this like sort of tiny little minnow dwarfed by, you know, Python and Julia and R and all of the other scientific community. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is cool. I'm happy for them, but I didn't really 
I was like, okay, you know, we'll we'll see kind of what comes of this, but you know, it's continued to to grow and grow and speed up, not slow down. And mm-hmm. Daniel Slutsky and has been a you know, massive driving force towards that. So okay. I'm, yeah, I'm super excited that it exists. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of need for it in my day to day job, which is mm-hmm. more regular web programming. Mm-hmm. But it is something I'm excited to see exist and from the sort of closures together perspective with I put that hat on, yeah, I'm very excited when we get projects for in that scientific closure area. You know, they're always great to fund. Yeah. It's a, a vibrant part of the closure community, I think. Yeah. I think I have the same, I guess well not reaction, but I think it's interesting that a lot of the success, you call it, of Python and R come from there's just a lot of people whose day jobs involve doing data science in environments that are already set up in these other languages. But it's all work-driven. And if you're just on the side, to put the effort in to set up some new computing environment, to play with the new thing, it's got to really grab you. I would love to live in a world where someone, just a friend, you know, sends me a link to something. We all have this experience that someone sends like a Hacker News link and, you know, you read it. But there are just these rare articles that are dynamic and interactive where you can fiddle and play, like take the engine simulation and start to mess with it. And to the extent that these rabbit holes are like easy to go down, I think Clojure really can do that with a lot of these data science tools. We've got the web experience is really fantastic. The porting to different environments is really fantastic. All this is to say, convincing like a big company to go adopt the Clojure stack, like maybe would work, but I'm just not even interested in like that vector into people's minds. If you could like at Thanksgiving, pull up some simulation of a thing or some data science thing using Cyclosh's tools, and then send the link to your uncle that you usually fight with about politics. And then you're both like geeking out over some corner of a simulation you found. That's what's going to fix the world, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the promise of computing back in the day. It was like, we have this computational, we found that you can take sand and melt it and like arrange it in this particular way. And it does all this crazy stuff for you. And the glee and excitement about what doors that would open in the universe. I think it's awesome. It's like amazing to read the thrill that was out there back in the day about this stuff. And that is just waiting for us to tap into again. And, um, I don't know. It seems kind of hyperbolic maybe, but I do think this language gives me those vibes just on a pretty regular basis. And that I, I think sharing that through all the stuff is uh Cyclos has that, that chance. Yeah, I agree. And so recently or sort of the last couple of months, I'm trying to place myself in, in time, but you've been funded by Closures Together to sort of continue the work you've been doing for quite a few years before that. Yeah. So I applied for this funding and what was helpful, well, one, the funding just was helpful to let me pay rent and work on this stuff without going and getting a real job quite yet. But what I'll thank you for and what was extremely helpful was orienting my next phase of work around these libraries I wanted to produce and deliverables for other people. These are things I kind of like, eventually I told myself I'd get around to, but really just chopping up these clerk utilities and different components for clerk and then guides for other people on how to go extend Clerk to use these custom JavaScript widgets, which you know is pretty out there actually. That's eventually going to be supported well, but that is like a not many people are doing that yet. So getting templates up for other people 
just making this stuff as easy to use as possible. I feel like that's a very good thing for the community. Like aside from just the specific, these specific things I'm making, these patterns for anyone else doing work with Clerk or with these toolkits available in Clojure, all the stuff I've done now is available as templates for other folks to crib off of. So orienting work around that and saying, okay, I'm going to get out these six things by this date was like so awesome and helpful. And to not have to shim this over with anything other than this will be useful to the closure community, to the, the sort of cyclose related folks was a real thrill. So I'm so glad it worked out. And I hope I make the uh, closure community proud with them. <laughs> I hope this stuff ends up being useful to kind of the largest number of people possible. Yeah, I think it you know, definitely will be. It's a very large possibility space from what, what you've built. What I hope is that it's stuff that wouldn't get done other than through organizations like Closures Together. That phrase, like work that wouldn't get done without Closures Together, that's kind of my favorite kind of work to fund, which is not always like, I think in this case, it is very exciting in and of itself. But, you know, there's a, a lot of software work, which is, it just needs to happen, but it's not that fun and like, but it's, you know, important work that yep. you know the, you know stuff just kind of rots if if nobody maintains it even in closure yeah. which is pretty good update for new versions of java or new you know new versions of closure just these gardening and then like more sort of fundamental work or splitting stuff out that could be more useful if it was in a in a separate library like like what you've got this that's kind of yeah i like all of the different things that we fund new projects experimental things but when it's a something that possibly wouldn't have otherwise happened. That's some of my favorite stuff to see. Yeah. And there's also a permission element to this that is really interesting. Like you said, there's some stuff that's just maybe boring or just needs to get done. But there's also people that, like in my case, I kind of like doing a lot of that tidying and upgrading and like separating and documenting. And so to give people like that, or like me in that case, almost permission of look, you can do this. You can spend some nights and weekends. And like, this isn't just a side thing where you have to take a little piece of your soul out and like give it away, but you're sort of getting this acceptance from the community. And look, there's other folks who are cheering you along. I mean, it's really powerful. And aside from the monetary value of this stuff, just the fact that there is a, an organization saying, no, 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 we care about that kind of work. We're here. You would think that there would be many more of those, but it's a rare thing. And so I really appreciate the, the what you're doing. I feel like I'm not the one, you know, <laughs> slaving at the keyboard, actually writing all of this incredible code. So, yeah, thank you. And, yeah, everyone else who's been funded by Closure Together and the people who fund it, the members are incredible. We've got large companies and small companies and individual developers. And, yeah, I, I really appreciate everyone uh, who's who's given money to support this. So. I'll say one thing in, in case you're too modest to show for yourself, uh, you've got a GitHub sponsors profile. So number of people are already sponsoring you. I assume more sponsorships is welcome. But what else you know, might people who are interested in this area be able to do? Okay, so yes, sponsorship would be great. I'd love if you'd come along and if this works useful, that'd be great. The thing that would really that really excites me is, I mean, I started doing all this because <laughs> ostensibly I like to teach and want to be writing essays about this work. So the one thing you can do, there's two. One would be, I kicked all this off with, uh, 
I, I claimed I was going to write this essay series on physics, kind of from soup to nuts. <laughs> and I've been off like making tools to go write those computational essays and just not updating anyone about it. That said, I plan on starting soon with this uh, substack I'm calling the Road to Reality. So if you go to my GitHub profile, you'll see a link to it. I believe it's roadtoreality.substack.com. This is going to be a series of essays that are written as clerk notebooks with interactive stuff embedded in them, building up, as I said, effectively the story of this computer algebra system. Like how would I get to Einstein's field equations starting from just Lisp with all sorts of fun mathematical diversions? So, you know, come subscribe to that. And once I start getting those out, I think that'll be exciting. Now, the thing that would be even more thrilling would be as you get those, I'll have a guide for how to go run them and kind of play with them on your own and extend them into your own kind of essays and comments. So to the extent that anything is interesting, like get over, just put away kind of if you're not a software person or don't think you're a physics person or whatever, the goal of all these essays is to create little spaces where people can tinker and mess around and be completely confused but have that be exciting and gleeful rather than like, oh my God, I don't know physics. What's happening? Go like, well, what if I just started like whipping the slider around and like connected that to this other thing? And I, I'm going to try to go make that as easy as possible to kind of break stuff and confuse all of us. The final version of this, that will be possible like in something like Maria in the browser. So there'll be no effort and you'll be able to share your own comments and tweaks on stuff back up. But yeah, if anything's exciting, just fiddle and play or at least kind of read along and just tell me anything that gets you tingling. Cause I'm, I'm just such a sucker for that. And like, I'll put in so much effort to teach and share for <laughs> the tiniest of audiences. <laughs> so yeah, come check out the essays as they come out and yeah, I'm thrilled to start making those soon. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking time away from your young family and everything else that's going on. I'm sure it's extremely busy for you. So yeah, with twins, twins, I, oh my God. I can't even imagine. Twins yeah, I know. Like. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, they're, they're lovely. They're, they're like the easiest twins I can imagine having, but uh, yeah, time gets a little chopped up. <laughs> Coding in your head or on a pen and paper is, is a good skill to have in this, uh, this time, or just the ability to like chill out and cuddle the twins and not think about any of this. Um, thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate the chance to, to talk about this stuff and it's great getting to catch up a little bit. Yeah, I really appreciate it too. All right. Thanks. Cheers.